Our theme this year that our shepherds have selected for us is hand in hand with the healer. And we've considered a lot of different thoughts related to that, that beautiful motif woven through Scripture. How is it our God has healing and brought healing into our lives? We've looked at the healing that he offers to our hearts and the healings that he offers to our mind and even the healing that he offers to our bodies. But to end our year, if you remember that book that we created, most of you have probably forgotten there even was a book. But there is a book that outlined where we're going this year and where we are ending is how God through Christ, offers and promises healing of our past, our present, and our future. So we're starting today with that idea that there is healing promised to our past. I want you to start with a question and, and maybe just, just think on it with me. Think if you've ever wrestled with this or wondered on this or asked it in any kind of way and any wording in your heart. Have you ever had that time where you know what you've done and you know the deepness of what you've done and you're hit with the question, could God forgive someone like me? Like at this point in it all, I, I know how deep I've, I've, I've fallen into this and how long I've been engaged in this. Or maybe, maybe it's not that I'm not a Christian. Maybe it's that I am a Christian and I know better. I know that old rugged cross we sang about. I know that he loves me and I still chose to do those things that are wrong. Is there any way God could forgive someone like me? Is there any way that my past could be healed and I could ever go forward being right with God and, and in a right relationship with God and ever live with him in his presence? Have you felt that before? I have. It's a tense question because I believe, if we're honest, there's probably a few here today who are wrestling with that. I just want to know for sure, is there any way in light of all that I've done and how I've lived, I could be right with God? that my past could be forgiven and my future secure in him. Now I want to begin maybe apart from here by showing us a few, a few glimpses of a way that this is answered in the wrong way. In other words, God has shown us through the word of God, sometimes in principle, but oftentimes in stories, interwoven in stories, the wrong way to handle our sin. And so if we have made mistakes, if we have chosen to disregard God's laws, there are some wrong ways we can respond to our sin, which will keep us from having a healed and clear past. For instance, don't run from your sin like Jonah. And that's a wrong response. In Jonah chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break it up. You kind of get the idea. God says, I want you to go this way. And Jonah says, Nah, I'm going to go that way. I'm not going to listen to you. And we do that sometimes. I know what I've done, and I know how bad it is. And instead of owning up to it and accepting it and being honest with it, I run from it. And so maybe it's that I bury my life under distractions. I'm going to get really busy at work and I'm going to take on all these projects and I'm going to fill every ounce of my schedule so I don't have to think about what it is that I've done. Or maybe I'm running in a location. I made a big major mistake in this city where a lot of people knew, so I'm going to get up and move where no one else knows. Or maybe we run through time. Let's just put enough time past it. Let's just not talk about it for a long time and maybe it will all just kind of go away. 
But the reality is, as David said, my sin is ever before me. Not time, not place, not distance, not distractions can ever take away what will ever always be there. You can't run from your sin. Don't cover up your sin like Achan. When Joshua and Israel were marching around the city of Jericho, God had a command, don't take any of the stuff for yourselves. It belongs to me. Well, in Joshua 7 and verse 1, it says, The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the, the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. He did the very thing God said not to do. Well, when he's called on the carpet about it, this is what he said. Achan answered Joshua. He said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord of, uh, God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I covered, I covered them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Because hmm. if I just bury it deep enough and get like a nice rug to put on top of it, no one's going to know. You have to imagine how he did that, right? Don't notice the lump in the middle of the living room. He buried it, thinking no one will know. But what do we bury our sins under? What do we bury them deep and cover them over? Sometimes it's a lot like David. Remember David? How he had to hide his sins with lies, even with murder, to cover up what he did with Bathsheba. Or maybe Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine that story the Holy Spirit didn't reveal? I wonder how poured on that story was of their grand generosity, all to cover up the fact they weren't as generous as they assumed. Maybe it's lies, covering up with lies, or deceit, or deception. The reality is this, Hebrews 4 verse 13, No creature is hidden from His, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give an account. We can fool one another. And we can hide things from each other. We cannot hide a thing from God. All is laid bare. The language is the curtains are ripped open. And what you think you can hide from others, nothing is hidden from God. God sees it all. And not just does God see it all. The principle spoken in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out, plays true again and again and again. That maybe I got away from it today and maybe no one knew about it right now, but sooner or later my sin will come out. That's just reality. You can't cover it up. Don't blame away your sin like Adam and Eve. In the very beginning, no one was there but Adam, Eve, and the serpent, Satan. And God comes to him and says, what, what have you done? And their response, the man, Adam, says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There's not a following sentence after that and says, and the Lord said to the serpent, what have you done? And he said, well, there's, there's no one left. Do you see the language there? You did this to me, God. You gave me Eve. Well, it's, it's not my fault. The serpent's the one who tempted me. I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for my boss who's always pushing me. He's the one who gets me really upset. My wife has met none of my needs. It's not my fault. My husband never listens to me. It's not my fault. 
My parents were not who they should have been, and they were abusive to me in so many ways. It's not my fault. If the church would have done what they were supposed to do, my children never would have left. It's not my fault. And we're going to heap in that guilt on one another, but, you know, we're going to stand before the throne of God, and that's not going to amount to a thing. Because as God said to the prophet Ezekiel, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, you answer for you. Others may influence, others may encourage, others may prompt in a certain direction, but at the end of the day, you and I are responsible for every choice and every decision that we make. We cannot blame away the sin that's in our life. And then we can't justify our sins like the Pharisee. See, Jesus painted this parable, this story of two men who went to go pray. And in Luke chapter 18, in verse, in verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you hear the language? And do you hear maybe how we do this sometimes? I mean, I know I'm not perfect. I got that. But I do a lot of good. I might not do a lot of good things. So maybe I made a mistake over here. Maybe I broke God's law here. But I did a lot of good things last week too. I mean, I served and I helped and I read my Bible. Or, more likely, in, in line of this parable, I know I'm bad, but I've never made the news. A lot of bad out there. I've not murdered anyone. I'm not stolen from any banks or extortioned. I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as those people over there are. And James, in highlighting the exalted status of the royal law, says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In other words, if you've broken the law, you've broken the law. There's no varying degrees in God's standard of right and wrong. Can you see? And so if, if any of these paths that God has shown us through the stories of people who have lived before, if this has been my way of responding to the ways that I failed God, the only thing behind me is going to be a trail of guilt and shame. Or if I do that long enough, that shame goes away. Maybe you've seen this before. The shame sort of becomes hardened like a callus on the hand, and I just plunge deep into darkness, and I no longer feel, care, and bothered by anything that I do. The answer is none of these. The answer takes us to Psalm 32. There is an answer to how it is we deal with the sins in the past. Psalm 32, written by David. Notice how it begins, because it begins with a blessing, a promise of forgiveness, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Stop. Do you want that? Would you like that? Would you like to be described as the person in verse 1 and 2? How blessed is the person to whom the Lord 
removes the guilt, the stain of iniquity from their soul. Well, he goes on to describe how it's not found. Look at verse 3. This is how you don't find that forgiveness, how you will never receive that that pardon. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Do you hear what he's saying there? I kept it to myself. I hid it. I concealed it. And it literally was eating me up from the inside out. And some of you know that. For some, it literally feels like a gnawing on the inside. You are never easy. You never have an appetite. You feel sick all the time because of what you've done, what I've done. For some of us, it feels like a crushing weight, that weight of guilt. It literally feels like someone is pressing upon you and it's hard to breathe. And that's what happens when someone who has any ounce of conviction, any ounce of a conscience, breaks God's law and tries to hide it and bury it or ignore it. If that has been our path, we will never find peace. We will never find forgiveness. That's not how David found it. The answer is, is continuing on verse 5. When he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. The funeral dirge turned into a victory triumphant song in verse 7 comes from those who in verse 5 confess their transgressions to the Lord. Confession. Do you know what that means, confession? What it means to confess our sins to God? Sometimes, I think we get in our mind that confession is just telling God, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I broke your law. Or more often than not, it's just expressing that you feel bad. I feel bad that I did this to you. Do you ever have that happen before? We've had at the Shouse house where you have two kids, they're young, and there's one who did something wrong, and you are there as the instigator and judge, and you say, all right, say you're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it hurt you a lot more to say that than it did what you just did. <laughs> Is that confession? I'm sorry. Sorry I did it, God. I'm sorry I, 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 I upset you. You know that the word in Hebrew, translated into Greek for confession, means to agree or to say the same thing. So when we confess our sins, we are saying to God about our sin the same thing God says about our sin. Think of that for a moment. When I confess to God what I have done that is wrong, I am now acknowledging openly and honestly about what I just did the same thing that God says about what I just did. I'm not whitewashing it sugar-coating it, watering it down. Well, everyone makes a mistake. It wasn't that big of a deal. I lied right now. I did not tell the truth. I cheated, and I broke my promise, and I broke your word, and I dishonored you and your holy name, and I trampled upon the blood of Jesus, turning my back on that beautiful gift of, of Calvary. 
I broke my loved one's trust and the promise that I made with them. I have been a fool. I have sinned against you, my God. That is confession. I see, I recognize, and I admit to my God in complete honesty and transparency what I have done. The same as he has said about it in his word. There's no sugarcoating it. There's no downplaying it. I'm admitting to you, I see myself now as you fully and completely see me. That's what happened to David. When Nathan the prophet came to David and exposed to him the sin in which he committed against Bathsheba, David's response written out in Psalm 51 is this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, what? I agree with your words. I agree with your judgment, and I see myself and what I have done. It's no small offense. I was evil in what I did. And I sinned, and it wasn't against just this woman, and it wasn't against this man, and it wasn't against the nation. I sinned against you and your words and your name. Your judgment is right and fair that I have sinned and I have broken your law. There is no path out of a broken past that does not begin with confession. It's not to a man or some kind of ordained minister. It is between a soul and their God. The proper writer would say, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I see as you see, I say as you say, I'm turning from my sin and coming to you. In fact, in your Bible, keep your marker here in Psalm 32, and I want you to turn over with me to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. I want you to notice a parallel that's found here in John 3 and something that John would write a little later on. I'll have one on the screen and one in your text. John chapter 3 in your Bibles. John chapter 3. I'm going to put it on the screen and we're just going to start it and then we'll continue back and forth for just a moment. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Stop there. We walk in the light. Jesus is in the light. We're walking with Jesus. And if we walk as he walked and are in him and in the light, there is this promise and this gift of forgiveness through his blood. Now, he says, walk in the light. There's not a lot of shadows in here. Not a lot we can hide and expose because everything is seen because all is light. And John chapter 3 and verse 19 it says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Do you hear language there? The reason most crimes are committed in darkness is under the veil of deception. No one will see and no one will know. But if you walk in the light, all is known, all is seen, all is exposed. Pick back up in verse 8. 
If we say we have no sin, what's that mean? I'm sinless, maybe, or it's not that big a deal. It's a small mistake. It's a little offense. It wasn't anything. It's no big deal. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see what happens there? Verse 7 is the promise. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, there is the blood of Jesus and the promise of forgiveness. Verse 8, but if I want to choose to live in the darkness and to cover up what I've done, to cover it up under excuses or blaming or, or lies or deceptions or just not being truthful, I'm a liar. God knows the truth. I'm deceiving myself. But if I really want that forgiveness, I need to be in the light where all is exposed and all is seen. And it's not that God sees. God already knows and God already has seen. It's that I am willing to open up myself to God and say, I see. I see who I am and I see what I have done and I see the thoughts within me. I'm going to be truthful about who I am and what I have done before you, pleading for your mercy. That is the path upon which one would find mercy. Now back in Psalm 32, let's go back for just one more moment, Psalm 32. Because the question is, how could that be? How, How is it that someone with a long list of darkness behind us, a past immense in sin and wickedness and darkness, could still in any way be forgiven and right with God? Psalm 32, picking up in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as a horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, who hold them in check. Otherwise, they will, will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Do you notice? You see, in verse 6, David is the instructor, pleading as a guilty person who has found mercy, as a starving person who has found bread, I want you to come. Come while God will hear you. Come to the source of mercy. Come to the place, to the fountain, and you will find life. But starting in verse 8, David is no longer the author. God is the one who is instructing, and God is calling us to that path of forgiveness. Verse 9 is something I have lived all too real. Any of you who have dogs, big dogs that you walk around have lived that before, you have the animal on the leash. And you know there are some places they don't need to go. The prickle bush is not where they need to go. On the street with running cars is not where they need to go. Where do they want to go? Everywhere they should not be. And so we have the leash. And sometimes when you have good obedient animals, they listen. And you say, stay, follow, whatever your command is, walk with me. And they'll stay by your side. But then you have animals like the one I have. And it does not matter what command and what language I give. Stay. Stay follow. And off they go. And so you have the leash. And that gentle walk, a a picture of perfect trust and submission, 
where one is listening and walking by the master's side, instead looks like a tug-of-war game, where you're pulling this way and that way. When someone asks, how was, your, how was the walk with the dog? You're like, that was the most excruciating thing in the world, because you are pulling and struggling all along the way, because it wants to go everywhere it should not go. And God says, don't, don't be like that. Do you see that down in, in verse 9? Don't, don't be that way, because some people live life that way where God's commands are like this leash, and he is trying more than anything to pull us out of there. Stop going back to that lust. Stop running out to that pride. Get away from that selfishness. And every time we're with God, there's a small season, and we're listening and we're trusting, but it's right back to that way. Look at verse 10. How could it ever be that someone like you and I and all that we have done could ever, could ever receive mercy and forgiveness from God? not because we've done it. Oh, I didn't. I learned so much. I studied so much. I followed so much. He who trusts in the Lord will receive loving kindness. Or in some translations will say mercy. He who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness and mercy shall, shall surround him. It's not in us. It's in the Lord. I have found here loving mercy from an infinite supply, we sing. It's not because we've done so good, and we say it that way, I got myself into this mess, I'm going to get myself out of it. No, no. The Lord, in His amazing grace, beckons us to come. We must listen, we must trust, and we must follow, right? We're not going to keep on going back to sin. But those who choose to follow the path of the Savior, what is on that path is Nothing short of amazing grace. Now I want to end here. This beautiful psalm and those last two verses. There was a verse that I found. I don't remember. I know I have read it before. I just didn't remember the verse. You know those times when you read the Bible and you come across a verse. You're thinking, I know I must have seen this before. I just, I don't remember the power of this verse. The way like it hit me. Because this hit me when Brother Mark was preaching a couple weeks ago. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 closes with what to me gives a beautiful picture, an incredible picture of what this psalm is talking about, of this promise of forgiveness. I just want you to just, to just look at some words. I just want to pull out some words in this lesson. Very, very shortly, it's going to be yours. Then may our God, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. It's lovely, isn't it? Our God who has loved us, loved us. Look at those words, loved us. Loved us when we were unlovable. Loved us when we were far from him. Loved us when we were deep in sin. Loving us even today, even in the pits of our own shame and disgrace. Loving us even though we are far from his presence, running in the far country. Romans 8 declares for us in such powerful, expressive terms, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or anything to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ and our Lord and Jesus our Lord. No matter where we are, no matter where we have been, no matter how deep, how long, how far, our God always loves us. He has always loved you. He has always loved me. Our God who loved us 
and has given us, notice, eternal comfort. What a rich thought, eternal comfort. Not comfort for a moment, for a season, for a time. Eternal comfort. Comfort that lasts through all eternity. It's talking about a confidence you and I can have. A confidence that I'm right with God today, and that's what's promised for me to come. It's not a moment of glory or a hope of eternal life, but the confidence we will live in the presence of God face to face forever. Now listen, that confidence by some is taken to a wrong, a dark extreme. Because some believe God is so good and so loving, He always loves me, and He is so willing to forgive me that I can do what I want to do. All this stuff doesn't matter. Law doesn't matter. Doctrine doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. And Paul says, how could we? How could we say that? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Shall we keep doing the wrong things since God is so abundant in grace? No. No. May it never be. We don't have a proper understanding of grace if we don't have a proper understanding of law and of doctrine and of truth. How shall we who die to sin keep on living in it? Grace is not a license to sin. Grace, brethren, is a liberty to live life the right way. It's living life knowing that there are laws and commandments, but I don't need you tugging at me to tell me what's right. I know that you were right. You have set me from a mess that I jumped in on my own, and instead of dragging me out, I came so willingly, and I'm wanting more than anything to follow you. The confidence, brethren, is this. And we ask it often. I want to ask it to you today. First John 5, 13, these things I have written to you, Campbell Road Church. Can you imagine? Our brother Jim Penn gets up today and reads to us an inspired letter, and it sounds like this. These things I have written to you, the church at Campbell Road, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know? That before I finish this sermon, it's not a precursor of something long to come, but we're willing to get up here and to lead our final song a light came through these windows brighter than anything we've seen before. And our song was joined with angels, triumphant and glorious. And as we rush out of this auditorium, out those doors, he's, he's there. And the sky has been pulled apart. And from that moment, it all goes on to the throne. Now let me ask you, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Brethren, were he to answer that prayer today, do you know where you would be in eternity? There is eternal comfort given to those who the Lord loves and who walk with him. He uses the phrase, good hope. What is there for those who walk with the Lord? What is there for those who give their life to the Lord? You would imagine, if I do, there are some who've lived life a lot better than me. They really have. There are some who've done a lot more than me. So I would imagine if I get into heaven and the Lord allows someone like me into heaven, the apostles are going to get the front seat with Moses and Abraham and David and and some amazing people. I'm going to be in the far nosebleed section in heaven. Someone like me doesn't deserve to be somewhere like that. I'm going to live in the outskirts. 
Have you ever felt that before? Like, what would be my degree of, of reward realizing how I've lived? Because there's been some who's done a lot better than me, but you and I, broken, weary, simple service that we have done, no stories will be written about us. In fact, what's sobering is that before the end of this century, no one will know we were here. Even these YouTube videos will be dust and gone and remembered as another generation comes along. But Paul says what's awaiting for those in Christ Jesus is good hope. Our hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Or like what one translation says, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how, how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The guarantee is this, despite what's been behind us, nothing can, can compare in Jesus to what's before us. Nothing will compare. It'll be glory. It'll be far greater than the grandest reward and victory we could ever achieve here on earth. Good hope are waiting for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then maybe just one more word before we kind of wrap this up. By grace, by grace, by grace, by Jordan's good work, no. By Jordan's good service, no. By all the ways I've worshipped God, no. By all the ways I've devoted myself to know this word and teach this word, no, no, no. By all the ways I've served those around me, no, no. None of this love, none of this eternal comfort, none of this good hope we have is by anything you and I have done in and of ourselves. It is by his marvelous and incredible grace. Does that mean we do nothing? No, no. Of course we work, and of course we serve. But it's not to earn a thing. We serve because He saved us. We serve because He gave His Son for us. And at the end of the day, boy, we could stack it up, can't we? All the things we have done in His name, all the ways we have served in His name, we're going to get to the throne of God and say, look what I've done. No, we're going to say, Lord Jesus, in light of what you have done, I have simply done what I should have. I simply sought to serve. I simply did what any servant would. I just used what time and talents you gave to me in your name. Not any ounce of that is to earn a place in his kingdom. Every bit of that is in response to his amazing and incredible grace. Oh, yes, we work. How can we? How can we not but work? Isn't that the end of that verse? May this amazing love and eternal comfort and good hope and incredible grace comfort us in the midst of hard times. Remind us even in dark days that good days can come before us, but prompt us, motivate us, stir us up to be a people in good word and good works. That's what Paul wrote. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. To earn nothing, to deserve nothing, but simply to give a life in response. A life that has been rescued from darkness, now devoted entirely and fully to light, to Christ. I read this week, this is not a preacher story, this is a real story, about a man who was working at a YMCA in a part of a, of a rough part of town. And these two boys were there, and they were known notorious criminals. 
They robbed a lot of places and vandalized a lot of places. And so they came to this YMCA and they, they robbed the place. And they didn't know the man was there. But on the way out, they saw him there and assumed that he must have seen them. And so they, they beat him up. In fact, they beat him so bad, while he lived, he lost, he lost sight in one of his eyes. Well, the police caught them and they went to trial. And instead of receiving the sentence that was due for both of them, the man who was beaten and wounded spoke up and said, I wish to ask for you to lighten their charges and I will pay every fee for what they owe. Surprisingly, the judge agreed and both boys were released of their sentence. One of them immediately went back to crime, was convicted again and sentenced in the prison. The other, though, had a change of heart. In fact, he went back to school. And then from school, he went on to college. And then from college, he graduated and became an eye surgeon. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Every time on those intricate, simple surgeries, if you thought back those years ago about the man who changed his life, the man who could have condemned him, but instead chose to give him grace. Our past, brethren, no matter how dark, does not have to determine our future. What was does not have to be what will be in Jesus. Don't run from your sin. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up. Don't sugarcoat it. Listen to the call of David and God who beckons, come to the Lord. Be open and honest. Pour forth what you have done. Speak truth. Seek truth. And you will find mercy and grace. I don't know about you, but there are times when I, I look at all of this and this promise of grace and forgiveness and heaven that is to come, and it seems a bit overwhelming seems a little overwhelming to, to imagine you and I in a place of such grandeur, of heaven itself. I told the analogy before. Some of you are new, so I'm going to share it again. Preachers have a liberty to share stories a few times um, in the pulpit. When I was living in Louisville with Holly, uh, just on that Indiana area, there's a man who worshiped with Holly at the church there in Louisville. His name was Roger Royalty, and he invited me to go to a restaurant I had never been to before. And so I agree. I mean, it's a free lunch. When you're in college and you're newly married and someone offers you a free meal, you, you leap. And so I went, and I should have known when I got to the door and there's a valet at the door that this is not what I am used to at all. Because I got upstairs and there was these grand chandeliers and people were in suits and ties and dresses and the food we have I can't pronounce and beautiful music was playing and I was there in my polo and my jeans and my tennis shoes. <laughs> and so my food was there and on my plate. And I was just moving the food around on the plate. Just sitting there in all of it. My friend looked at me and goes, what's wrong with you? I said, Roger, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. I eat at McDonald's most days. I couldn't even afford Chick-fil-A <laughs> back in those days. I said, I... I don't belong here. This is not my scene. I, I just don't fit in. I appreciate you inviting me, but I, I, don't, I don't belong here. And he leaned across the table and he says, you belong here because I invited you. 
Because I'm sure. I can see it clear, can't you? The heavenly gates, guarded by those who know who will come in, thinking, what are you doing here? Look at the life you've lived. Look at the things you've done. And all I will be able to say is, I know, but I've been invited. The one on the cross said I could come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one on the cross invites you home. The Savior invites you to his table. Fully unworthy, completely undeserving. But will you receive it? Will you come? If you're ready for that today, do you want to see at that table? Do you want to live in God's home? When Christ returns, then come, then come. No more hiding, no more pretending. No more dodging responsibility. Own up to the life that you and I have lived. Speak truth about the past. Bring the broken life to the one who can mend all things, even here today. And we'd love to help you with that. If you are here and there's things in your life that do need some help, that you've walked far away from God, please, please don't leave today without us making, helping you to make that right. If we can pray with you or talk with you in any way, serve you this morning, we'd love to do so. So let's do it just right now. Let's do it. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.